morning, everybody. It is awesome to see you today. Just stand with us, please, as we worship this morning in song. We're glad to have you here.
glad that you're here today. Doesn't violin sound great? <laughs> I just can listen to it, listen to it. We appreciate Rebecca being up here today, but just, um, just making a sweet sound and sweet music to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we sing this next song, just lifting our voices to the Lord, praising him today because he is blessed. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise when the darkness closes in Lord still I will say blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your
you meet somebody new this morning? Yes, no, didn't want to. (laughs) We are glad to have you here today, worshiping with us as we continue with this next song. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask God's blessing this morning. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for just allowing us the gift of music, Lord, as we are coming to hearing Ken uh, just bring forth the word of God. Um, We just want to thank you for the opportunity to just come before you in song. We just want to thank you for the opportunity for us to come together, Lord. Um, We look so forward to to coming together, Lord, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's such a commonality, Lord, of just loving you and wanting to serve you and and, and lift our voices to you. So as we continue in song this morning, Lord, and just ask your blessing, Lord, that we will continue to just um, love you and, and worship you the way that we were designed to do. Amen. Like a covenant of old, your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today. Faithful you have been and faithful you will be. You pledge yourself to me. And it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, and ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, and ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my you father the orphan your kindness makes us whole and you shoulder our weakness and your strength becomes our own Now you're making me like you, clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes, for you will have your bride, free of all her guilt, and rid of all her shame, and known by her true name, and that's why I sing your praise will ever be on my
Welcome to Crossroads. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? We're glad that you're here today. Just uh, a few announcements. First of all, if you please pass the friendship folder down the aisle this morning, I would appreciate that. And uh, just, just a few thoughts here today as we are heading right to Easter. Easter is Sunday, April 16th, and uh, Easter is an incredible time to bring people to Jesus. So I want to I give you just a few opportunities here that we have to, in addition to our regular services, we have services here obviously every weekend, and every weekend is an opportunity to bring somebody to Jesus, all right? But uh, I want to encourage you, this helicopter egg drop. This is going to be so exciting. We have more than 300 people signed up already for it. Uh, It is a ticketed event. You can't come without a ticket. All the kids have to have a ticket so so that we can prepare properly. We have 10,000 Easter eggs ready to go. And yes, they do have candy in them, folks, all right? So somebody asked me, is there going to be candy in these eggs? I was like, yeah, that's kind of why you would hunt the eggs. So but uh, so there, there's all kind of fun stuff going to be going on there. And uh, the helicopter will pull up out there around 3 o'clock and will drop the eggs on the field. My understanding is we're, we're trying to figure out how he can land it, and you can get a picture with the helicopter afterwards, all right? So it's going to be a fun, fun day. I want to encourage you, but we do have to limit it so it... it uh, Please get your friends and family to do that. Sean and Mike are going to come around and hand out these uh, the flyers here. I want to encourage you, take these and invite somebody. Put them in the hand of somebody that, uh, that you think uh, has kids. Uh, we're going to try and get, them, uh, get this word out real strong in the community. We are just a few weeks away. So if you would, uh, if you would uh, go out and bring somebody, that's, uh, that's what this is all about. Our mission here is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if, uh, if you would just take this opportunity and introduce somebody to the church, introduce them to Jesus, this will be an open door. It's part of uh, your bringing somebody to Christ, all right? And then we are going to have on, on so that, that's Palm Sunday weekend, April 8th. April 9th is Palm Sunday, and then on Thursday and Good Friday, many people know that as Maundy Thursday, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, we're going to have an event here, uh, Journey to the Cross, it's going to be a, a, a drama, and I know they've been practicing, they're practicing again tonight at 5 o'clock, and uh, they're getting ready for this, it's going to be a great event here for you to bring somebody to, we want to encourage you to come and have a night of worship yourself, but also bring somebody along, and, uh, and introduce them to Jesus, the gospel will be shared uh, and you will see the journey to the cross and uh, we're going to lift Jesus up high and then obviously we have our Easter weekend we'll have our Saturday night service and then our Sunday service is at 9 30 and 11 on Easter so uh, I want to just encourage you go out and spread the word people will come not because we have something fun that's that's all that's we do that that fun is fun people will come because you care about them uh, people bring people to Jesus, not helicopters, all right? Uh, programs don't bring people to Jesus. You know, we have an event and there's a drama. You're the one who brings them to Christ, all right? So these are all, all the things that we do to provide opportunities. So I want to ask you this morning uh, to just begin to pray and start planting those seeds. Right now we're in a new series in uh, Close Encounters of the Jesus Kind. Invite somebody all along the way. These are great opportunities to bring somebody to Jesus, all right? So that, that's our, our big, big exciting things are happening here at the church. And I just want to encourage you as uh, we stay on mission here at the church. And then uh, I want to just uh, once again re- remember uh, the Varega family in prayer. As, uh, as you know, Dale Varega went on to be with the Lord this week. 
um, after suffering from a brain tumor for more than two years. And uh, yesterday we had his, uh, his memorial service here, and it was such an uplifting day. Jesus was lifted high in this place, and uh, I know that many people uh, responded to Jesus Christ yesterday. So I just want to encourage you to, to wrap your arms around the Varega family, around Lynn and Caleb, and let's just ask, uh, ask God to help us as a church how that we can come to their aid uh, in these days to come. So this time I'd like to ask our ushers to come forward. And as they come, I'd like to receive our morning offering. If you're here as a guest, I'd like to invite you to let that offering just pass you by. This is for those that are growing regularly in the grace of giving. And so uh, if you are a guest today, please stop our welcome center. And uh, we have a nice uh, welcome gift for you just to say thank you for being here today. All right, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in this place. And God, I ask now that you'll do great and mighty things as, uh, as we continue to worship you. God, we lift up to you this, uh, the, the family, the Varega family, Lord. You are, you are a great God. You are so awesome how that you've been there for them. And God, as, uh, as Dale is in the presence of God Almighty, Lord, we thank you for the life of Dale. We thank you for his service here at the church, how he touched a community, Lord, uh, touched a region, this whole Mon Valley. People knew him everywhere. And Lord, uh, we, we rest assured today knowing that you have a plan and you have a purpose and that he's in your presence right now. God, uh, I ask now that you'll help us as we surround Lynn and Caleb and, and that family, Lord, as we just surround, surround the Varegas and, and uh, come to their aid for these days to come. Lord, as we give unto your name now, we ask that you will bless each gift and each giver. What a joy it is for us to give. Uh, from everything that you have given to us. And we respond to you now. In your name we pray. Amen.
our voices, Lord. It is in you alone that we can call salvation. It is in you alone that is preparing a place for us. It is in you alone that allows us to be called the sons and daughters of God. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning, Lord. We love you. Amen. You can be seated. We continue this morning. We've started a new, serv- a new series today in, in Close Encounters of the Jesus Kind. And uh, as we're, we're doing that, turn over to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to look at a close encounter of the Jesus Kind. Uh, everywhere that Jesus went, people were on his mind. Uh, he, he, was, he cared about people. He interacted with people. Uh, you see his miracles interacting with people. And so everything that Jesus did, was he had a very strong sense to connect with people. And I want you to understand that whenever there is an encounter with Jesus, when we have a close encounter, in other words, we actually get up and we got to find out who he is, um, there, there is a story to be told afterwards. There is a change that happens in our life. And so this morning, we're going to look at, the, uh, at a close encounter of a... He, this guy was really a skeptic. We're going to start off there with a skeptic. And uh, he was very skeptical of Jesus. His name is Nathaniel. And uh, in John chapter 1, we're going to head down there in a little bit. You're going to see about John chapter 1, verse 43, is where we'll pick up with Nathaniel. But uh, to understand a little bit about John's writings... I want you to understand a little bit about John, first of all. John was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. He was there. He records it. This is his eyewitness account. So he's coming back and he's saying, listen, I was there. I'm an eyewitness account. Here's the life of Jesus. And then to set up the whole book of John, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, he sets it up with what is known the prologue. And in the prologue, he, he takes in, uh, and, and he's setting up who Jesus is. Now, look here with me at John chapter 1, verse 1. He uses this word. He says, in the beginning was the word. And, the, and I put next to there, the, the, the translation, uh, the, the original word is logos. All right, so he was speaking to the Greeks. Uh, this, this book was written in Greek. And so in the Greek, the word for word is logos, and that is a correct translation. Logos means word. That is a word-for-word translation there, all right? But let me give you the idea behind logos. What was going on in the Greek mind whenever they heard logos? He says, in the beginning was the word, logos, and the word, the logos, was with God, and the logos was God. Now, I'm going to show you in just a few moments here that, that he is pointing out that Jesus is eternal. He's so, showing you that Jesus is God. Jesus had no beginning. He had no end. Jesus was there. In the beginning was the Word. But, but, all right, let's go back to the one there. All right. In the beginning was the Word. He was, the Logos was there. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's identifying Jesus as God. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the word logos, all right? Logos uh, was, was this idea that the Greeks had. It was, it was a philosophical term that they used. And, uh, and it gave up the idea that the universe has a rational and moral order. And the whole goal of life was to contemplate and discern the order and discern this logos, discern this order of the moral universe, and, uh, and you would have a well-lived life if you conformed to the logos. And uh, it was a great thought, but here's what, here's what happened. When John brought this on, this was a revolutionary thought. 
that the Logos was not a philosophical. So he's borrowing a term. He says the Logos, and he brings it over to Jesus, and he says, you thought that the Logos, you thought that the meaning and purpose of life, and he takes it to this, you know, from philosophical, which, by the way, when it got into the intellectual realm, uh, that, that a well-lived life would be lived in an intellectual realm, it kind of left a lot of people out that said that wasn't even on their journey. And so he comes along and says, the Logos, you thought it was all this intellectual and this, this philosophical nature. He's, he brings it down and shows you that it is in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was present at creation. And so he says, listen, this is who this is. This is the Logos, the, the, the meaning and purpose of life. He takes it down, John 1.14, you go down just a few verses. He says, and the word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what does he do here? He says, listen, yes, there is meaning, there is purpose, but it's not in some philosophical nature that only a few can attain. He says there is meaning, there is purpose in life, and it is, comes from Jesus. And so he says, look, this Jesus, it is in a person. It's not in some form of philosophy. He proclaims that the world is not the product of some random and blind forces. Its history is not a tale that has no meaning. But then he goes on to, to, to make sure that we understand that it is not a principle, it's not some other abstract, it is a person. A person who actually lived and walked on this earth, the person of Jesus Christ. And if we can understand it, this is going to set up not only our encounter today, but it's going to set up the whole book of John. May I encourage you to take the book of John. The book of John was an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. There are 21 chapters in the book of John. You have enough time between now and Easter that you could read one chapter a day of the book of John. I want to challenge you. Take the 21-day challenge, all right? Let's take 21 days and just read a chapter a day of the book of John and, and discover who Jesus is because Easter is all about Jesus. I want you to be all about Jesus. I want you to know who he is. I want you to, to catch this and, and have this interaction with who Jesus is and, uh, and, and discover him because that's what this was all about. John sets up his whole book. In the very beginning with the prologue, this tells us for the rest of the book who Jesus is. He is God. He always was. He always will be. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the meaning and purpose of life is discovered in this person, Jesus Christ. He's not a principle. He's not a person. Luke Ferry, the, uh, Luke Ferry, the French philosopher, says that it was absolute insanity to the philosophers of that day to hear that the purpose of life was found in a person. Absolute insanity. This was a new revelation to, to the people of that day who had no idea of who Jesus was. And Jesus arrives on the scene. John writes this account for him. And he says it's not, uh, it's not in rationale, but it's in a relationship. And it's available to all. And so to show us this, we see a series of encounters. 
Uh, you, you can look through the book of John. You see a whole lot of encounters, close encounters of the Jesus kind where Jesus got up close and personal with people. And as you look through them, you, see, you get to see little parts of Jesus' character come out. You get to see who he is. We get to see the miracles that he performs. Get to see about his love, his care. And so as we take this journey for the next few weeks leading up to Easter, I want us to discover the close encounters of Jesus. Today we start with, uh, with one of the, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been on the scene. He was the forerunner to Jesus, and he had quite a following. And what happened in those days was instead of having a, a university per se like we, like we understand today, you would latch yourself onto a teacher, and you would follow that teacher. Quite often it would be a religious teacher, somebody that's dispensing religious truth. And in the Jewish culture, they, they said that uh, they would get so close to their teacher, to their rabbi, that, and they would say uh, that they were so close that they were in the dust of the rabbi. And so these people would come, and they would want to get as close as they can to the teacher. In other words, they would follow him everywhere he went, and they would, they would be part of his following, and they would be learning from his teaching everywhere that he went. And to show us what was going on here, John the Baptist takes us over and he shows us a little bit about, uh, I'm sorry, John, the author of John, takes us to John the Baptist and he shows us a few of John's disciples. We had Peter, Andrew, and Philip who were some of his notable disciples, some of his followers. And, uh, and John the Baptist now, Jesus arrives on the scene. In John 1, 29, it says this, John looks at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, and so John the Baptist was saying, it's not me, it's not my teaching anymore to his disciples, and he points and he says, look, there he is, Jesus. He's the one, he is the one who will take away your sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have Andrew, Peter, and Philip, and then also Nathaniel was part of that following of John the Baptist. And so we're going to pick up with Nathaniel here today, uh, verse 43, John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, D- Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, what he was saying was, you know, follow me, not just like, hey, just come and go to the grocery store with me. He's saying, be a part of my dust. Be a part of my, uh, uh, be, be the, in the dust of this rabbi. Follow me. And so Philip does. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Uh, Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So so here's, here's here's, let me set this up. Nathanael is the skeptic. Nathaniel's been part of it. He's, he's been into the Bible. He's looked at the Old Testament. He knows all the, all the prophecies. He knows everything. And he's got quite a knowledge. He's been with John the Baptist. But now John the Baptist is transferring his disciples to Jesus and says, this is the Lamb of God. So Philip goes along with it. And, uh, and Philip, I like what happens here. Verse 45 says that Philip found Nathaniel and said to him. Now, you know, when, when you see the word found, sometimes we get this idea that he just kind of stumbled across them, you know? I, when you see the word found, I want you to also understand there's the word seek. He was seeking. He was going after Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was one of his friends. 
And so the first thought I want you to see about this encounter is that Philip had a friend who cared about his soul. Philip had a friend, and that friend cared about his soul. He went over to him, and he says, we have found Jesus. We have found him, the guy that, the, that Moses was writing about in the law. Everything is fulfilled in Jesus. And he says, and, we, and all the other prophets that wrote about him, he's, it's all fulfilled in Jesus from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, I, I want you to also consider here, look at verse 46 and how Nathanael responds to him. But before we go to verse 46, I want you to catch this, that Nathanael had a friend that cared for his soul. And I want to ask you, who are the people that have cared for your soul? And who are the people that you're caring for their soul? Somewhere along the line, somebody came to you and told you that Jesus is God. Somebody came along the way and said that Jesus is the Son of God and you must trust him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You must trust him. And you opened your heart to God and you trusted him. Who are the Nathaniels in your life? Who are the people that we are going out of our way for? You see, that if we're going to find somebody, we have to seek them. And who are those people that we're going out and we're seeking, we're saying yes? Now, Nathaniel was skeptical. Uh, look, look at verse 46 at how he responds. Nathaniel said to him, Can any, anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. This is a very interesting thing that's happened here. Not only do we see that Nathan had a, uh, Nathaniel had a friend, Nathaniel also has a problem. And Nathaniel's problem, all right? Look at Nathaniel's problem. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about this. Here, here, they're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the epicenter of all the activity. Jerusalem was where all the right and the suitable people were, the people who had all the answers. They were in Jerusalem. It was like uh, that's where all the action was. And if you wanted to be a part of the action, you, were, uh, you would rely on Jerusalem. And then, then they would go, and there was a, another region. So Jerusalem was further south. Nazareth was further north. But Nazareth was part of a, a region known as Galilee. Nathaniel, he was part of, he, his original home was in the region of Galilee. So Galilee was looked down upon by the people of Jerusalem. And then within, within Galilee... There's always that next place that you say, oh, those people, you know what I'm saying? You know, oh, you live in that town? Have you noticed that everywhere? You know, maybe some of you, uh, you know, you thought of that of Finleyville, like, you know, can anything good come out of Finleyville, you know? When I, when I grew up in Pittsburgh, you know, when, when I, heard, I started coming to the church from Pittsburgh, we laughed. We were like, Finleyville? Yeah, they, they have a farm out there. We passed Trax Farm. Notice there were no street lights at night, all that stuff, you know, and all the, all the, all the luxuries of the city that we had, you know? crime and all that good stuff, you know, now, all that stuff that we didn't see out here. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's like, wow, can anything good come out of Finleyville? Uh, so here's what he does. He takes it and, and, you know, and then once you get to Finleyville, there's other towns. And then when you get to the other town, there's other towns. And when you get to the other town, there's other towns that everybody looks down upon. It's almost like, well, there's the right, there's the suitable people, there's all the people that are the smart people. And then there's those people. And I want you to catch it like that. That's his, the way that he's talking. He's talking in terms of something like those people. He's talking about somebody that, that, that he's discrediting. He, he's disdaining it for no good reason. And um, Nathaniel sneers at him. It, it's like he's rolling his eyes. Those people. 
Do you ever get around somebody who rolls their eyes? Only one of you, right? <laughs> all right? And the rest of you are too afraid to admit it. You know? Now, don't elbow your husband or your wife, please, all right? That's not good. Um, so, so, you know, you get around somebody who's rolling their eyes, and what they do when they roll their eyes, they just shut everything down. It, it, here's what happens. When we roll our eyes, we're, we're sending a statement that says, you know, I got this figured out. I'm smarter than you. And I've got my eyes rolled up into my head. Uh, we, we, we try to make other people feel like intellectual midgets. And, and this is where Nathaniel's at. He's saying, oh, man, can anything good really come out of Nazareth? Can anything really good come out of Nazareth? He's rolling his eyes, and he's like, wow, can anything good come from there? Many people today view Christianity much like Nathaniel viewed Nazareth. Many people today think that Christianity was from Nazareth, and it's still from Nazareth today. Many people will look and say, oh, can anything good come from there? You know, when you're, when you're talking, maybe you're inviting people to church, and, uh, and they will say, oh, can anything good really come from Finleyville? Can anything really good come from going to church, from hanging out up there? And, and look, we're, we're not about a church. We're about a relationship with Jesus. And so, so people will have that. That will be their very first, their very first um, uh, barrier to overcome. You may run into people like that. Or you may be like that yourself today. You may be on a search yourself. And you may, you may be skeptical. And I want to encourage you. Skeptics are welcome here in our church. Skeptics are welcome. Because I will, I will share with you that Jesus, the, the, the proof of who Jesus is, the proof of his word is undeniable. And you will, as you keep coming on this journey, you keep discovering who he is. Once you really discover who he is, you will sell out your life to him. And it will be just that wonderful for you. But on the journey, if you're skeptical, here's what I say. My, I, my response to you is like, like Nathaniel. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, come and see. He says, come and see. So he has a problem. His problem is pride. He has this pride issue that how can, how can anything good truly come out of there? The knowing, the smart people, the people who have it all together. You may have heard statements like this from some of those folks. Christianity, I've been there. I've done that. I've grown up with it. I realized that it, early on it just wasn't for me. I made up my mind, so in their minds, Jesus is still from Nazareth. And I want you to understand that when, when people come to that point of dismissal, it's really deadly. Uh, you know, th- this, this, this eye-rolling type of attitude is really deadly. It shuts down any opportunity to grow, any opportunity to learn, any opportunity to problem-solve. Tara Parker Pope, in her book on marriage, Entitled Better, she cites this. She says that eye-rolling is one of the definitive warning signs that a relationship is in serious trouble. Marriage counselors look out for it because it signals contempt for the other person. A successful marriage can't handle, can, a successful marriage can handle pain and disappointment, disagreement and frustration, but it can't handle contempt. Contempt literally kills a relationship. So I want you to see, this is where, this is where Nathan is at. Nathan, Nathaniel, forgive me. I did that in the first service. I kept calling him Nathan, right? Probably because in my notes I'm putting shorthand, Nathan, right? So Nathaniel, Nathaniel's sitting there and he, is, he has contempt. He is not willing to accept this. And so, so, so his friend come to him and, and he does that. 
Um, and, and so by despising Christianity, you, uh, by despising Christianity, you shut down links to more things. And I want, I want to share this with you. A lot of people don't understand this. And may I give you something here that may, may be helpful to you as you're sharing with people who say, well, I just don't need Christ. I'm okay. I'm a good person. And I hear a lot of people tell me that they are good people. And, and listen, they are legitimately nice people. But let me share with you uh, how important Christianity is to the moral system that we have. If we have, you want to develop good morals, and we live in a culture that is screaming for that. Our culture is screaming, I want to be a better person. I want to do good. I want to do right. And so if you come and let, let's just say love, all right? Uh, love your enemies. And I'll just write up the word love there so I don't misspell any other words, right? So uh, just put the word love up, all right? And so if you, you want to have love, it really, that loving your enemies didn't come natural. It doesn't come natural to love an enemy. The only way that you can love an enemy is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, there's people, you can love, you can love other people, but to love your enemy, this was the revolutionary message of Jesus Christ. He came and he loved people who didn't love him. Um, and, and you can't have that uh, without that. But yet, this is one of the big things that we desire. How about this one? How about uh, human rights. You hear people talking all over the world right now about human rights. I think that um, we have a real tragedy going on in our world right now with human rights because the basic message from where we get our human rights is at stake in our world today. And so people say, well, yeah, we have a right. Uh, l- l- let me tell you what. You were, in, you were made in the image of God, all right? If you were made in the image of God... And in the likeness of God. Um, this, is, this, this comes back to the message of Jesus. You see, if I, if I have the right to life, you have the right to life. There's certain things about, about being a human. And we look at those human rights that we, that we all desire. And so at the bottom, at the, at, at the very crux of all of these, the core message is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the Logos. He is, in the beginning, was the Logos. He was the answer to all these. What's the answer to conflict? Jesus. What's the answer to every disagreement? What's the answer to every pain, every issue that we deal with? It it comes back to Jesus. It's not in some philosophical nature that, well, maybe I'll try harder and I'll be able to love my neighbor. Listen, you can't love your enemy without Jesus. And so here's what's happened. The basic message of the cross. In our society, people are wanting to discredit this. They say, I can believe the good morals, but do I really have to go that far to believe Jesus? And many people are just wanting, with their arms folded and saying, I don't want that. And let me tell you what happens. When we get rid of the cross, we get rid of the ability to love an enemy. We get rid of the whole reason for human rights. The whole reason for the, for the rights of, of, of a human come from your being made in the image and the likeness of God. And so there are so many other things. In pre-Christian Europe, pre-Christian Europe, before Christianity made it spread around Europe, the, the thought of loving an enemy and feeding the poor, the orphans, the needy, that was unheard of. It was considered craziness. Christianity made it spread into Europe and then uh, the, the monks of that day that were truly seeking God go out and try and spread Christianity and they did it through loving their enemies 
loving people and putting understanding that my neighbor was made in the image of God. And it was the message of Christianity that changed Europe. And today, we're sadly, we're, we're moving back to, this, to, this, to, the, to a, to a postmodern civilization where people want to forget the cross. And may I remind you, if we forget the cross, if we forget the fact that Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life, I am the way to heaven, there's no one gets there but through me, if we take that out of the picture, you can kiss goodbye to all these other things. Because it's the very basis from where they came. Nathaniel wanted to throw out the very basis of Christianity. He, he was like, Nazareth, really? From Nazareth? And, and he, he, did, he, just, he wasn't, he wasn't going to go along with it. I want you to consider this. How does God work? God has always worked in the ways that were unexpected. He worked in the unexpected ways. In the Old Testament, in ancient cultures, you had the father, uh, you mother and father, and then you have their children. And then the inheritance would always go to the firstborn son. And the oldest son, the oldest son, would carry on the, the family name, would carry on the wealth, and it was a way of carrying on your family, right? But can I show you what Jesus did? How God works, actually? How did God work? God chose Abel over Cain, the younger brother. God chose Isaac over Ishmael, the younger brother. God chose Jacob over Esau, the younger brother. Even with all the problems that Jacob had, God chose him and he worked with him. God chose David over all of his 11 brothers. And time after time after time, uh, he chooses not the oldest one, uh, not the one that the world would expect, but he chooses the unexpected. Uh, with, with women in the ancient cultures, if they had lots of children, it was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of prosperity. Uh, they, were, they were held as heroes. Military successes and the odds of carrying on the family name were high if you had, had lots of children. And who does God work with? He goes and he works with Sarah, Abraham's wife who was barren. He says, all right, you have no children. I'm going to bless you and you will be called great. This will be, you, you have a great nation through this. God chooses it. He chooses the underdog, doesn't he? God goes to Nazareth all the time. God goes to Nazareth whenever he chose Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Uh, whenever he chose Samuel's mother, Hannah. Hannah was barren and crying out to the Lord. He chose her. John's mother, John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth. Um, and so we see on and on that God chooses the underdog. And this is the central, of the central, scripture, central truth of the scripture. What Jesus did. He came for the underdog. He came for Nazareth. And he comes out of the little town of Nazareth. So, so here, here's what happens in, in our world today, in religion all over the world. Religion all over the world says this, what can I do? What can I do to connect to God? And, uh, and it's all about me. How can, how can I connect to God? What can I do that will get me a connection to God? Uh, can I be a better person? Can I live a moral life? Can, can I take these different things and can I do certain things to change so that God will be better pleased with me. But the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus was total revolutionary. That's why he is the Logos. He is the meaning and purpose of life, and it comes through him. The message of Jesus is 
there is nothing that you can do because it has all been done on the cross. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sin that you might have eternal life. And so, the, the, so what, what is it that you can do? There's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor, that you can earn God's grace. It's all been done on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if we can begin to understand that this is the difference of our world. You see, Nathaniel's saying, what do I have to do? I know the Old Testament. I know the law. Don't, I'm not ready to accept from Nazareth. That's the underdog town. How could that be? Come to Jesus where it's already been done. Nathan had a need. Nathaniel had a need. Nathaniel had a need. He needed big questions answered. He really did. He needed big questions answered. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And now here it is, the close encounter with Jesus comes. Jesus comes up to Nathanael. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Look at what he did. Uh, he saw this. Here's the encounter. So Jesus and Nathanael have this encounter, and Jesus knows that he's skeptical. He was known as a grumpy student. Nathaniel was not this guy that was, you know, hey, let's just sit and talk. He was grumpy and challenging all the time. And I want you to understand something. How did Jesus respond? How did he? He, he, looks, he says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. He wasn't saying this man had no sin. He said, he said indeed, you are a good Israelite. And this was a, this was a compliment to him. He knew that he wasn't ready to, to accept Jesus at that moment. But Jesus wasn't ignorant to him. Jesus wasn't mean to him. He didn't, he didn't get in his face. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, you are sincerely seeking God. There's no deceit. You have, you have a, a heart that is truly seeking after God. And so what I see here is that he was gentle. He was gentle. We've got to be gentle with people. As we're out there, we're, we want him to come and see. Philip was gentle with him. He, said, he didn't argue with him. He said, well, come and see for yourself. And then when he finally gets to meet Jesus, Jesus starts, he sees him and he says, hey, indeed, you are a, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He compliments him. He's gentle. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are the king of Israel. And so right away he has an emotional response. Why? Because what was happening under the fig tree? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us what was happening under the fig tree. But we know it was a, a, a personal, something obviously very personal. Could it be that Nathaniel was... Could it be that Nathaniel, while he had his arms crossed and his eyes rolled, discrediting, prideful, can anything good come from Nazareth, could it be that he still had big questions underneath? And that he's under that fig tree, he's meditating and he's truly asking God for answers. One scholar says that a fig tree was the perfect place for a student to study. It was a perfect somebody reach, uh, reaching out towards God to, uh, to reach up and meditate under the fig tree. What we know is that Jesus said, I saw you, 
And Nathanael was so blown away by the personal nature of what Jesus revealed to him. He said, there's something really personal here. And he responds, Nathanael says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael uh, said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were, uh, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And look how Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Now, what Jesus is doing here, it's kind of interesting. You could almost hear Jesus lightening up here. He says, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You really believe that? Let me tell you, there's something that is going to be far greater than these things. You see, his, his response was, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the Old Testament prophecies that one day Jesus would come on a white horse and be the king of Israel. And so he's saying, we are under Roman oppression right now. I'm ready for this freedom. You are the king. And Jesus says, there's something far greater than for me to take the kingship right now. There's something far greater. Verse 51, he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He said, there's far greater things than the fact that I did a little miracle that you just saw. The miracle was that I knew that you were under the fig tree and there's something far greater than that. You see, many people come to God because they get their needs met, their loneliness is cured, uh, certain things of, the, of, of, of those natures are felt needs. But may I share with you that it's so much deeper than those felt needs. This is what he's saying here. He says, you will see angels ascending and descending on me from heaven. He was referring to the dream that Jacob had in the Old Testament. Jacob fell asleep on a rock and he had this dream. And the dream was of a ladder that went up to heaven and there were angels ascending and descending. And angels in the scripture are always a sign of God's royal presence. And so what this was, it was a direct reference back. This was a student. He was a skeptical student. And it was a direct reference. And so he points him back and he says, hey, listen. And he gives him a prescription. His prescription here is discover who I really am. If it were just freeing Rome that would be really fun. That's really good. And you can almost hear Jesus saying, do you really expect me to come on a white horse right now? I'm going to do something far greater than freeing Israel from Rome. I'm going to free all of humanity from their sin. And I am that connection. See, Jacob had this prayer. Jacob had this dream waiting and hoping for this, this connection between earth and God, that there would somehow be a connection and Jesus is that connection on that cross. When Jesus came, and so that connection is Jesus. And he says, Nathaniel, discover who I really am. Don't expect me to be riding on a horse. Discover who I am because as you watch me, as you come along this journey, you will see. Nathaniel comes to Christ. Nathaniel becomes a follower of Jesus. And in in after this discussion here, 
Other scholars say that we don't see any more mention of Nathaniel, but uh, some seem to think that uh, when you see Bartholomew talked about, that's a, another name that was in reference to the same person here uh, later on in, in, as a follower of Christ. His life was forever changed. He had a close encounter, but yet Jesus was gentle with him. Jesus didn't expect, all right, you got to do this right now. He, he said, come along the journey with me. Come along and discover that I am that connection between God and man. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So what's your story? Are you on a, have you had an encounter with Jesus? Is your first response emotional? Are you ready to discover that he is who he said he is? He is Jesus. He is God, the God of the universe. There is none other besides him. He was present at, at, uh, at creation. He is the Logos. He is the reason, the meaning, the purpose of life in a person. Are you ready to accept him? Are you ready to continue on your journey? Who are the Nathaniels in your life? Let's bow in prayer. With our head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to ask you to respond to Jesus. Who are the Nathaniels in your life? Maybe you've been on a journey. May I invite you today to continue that journey, to continue to discover who he is. Yes, all those human rights, all those things that have changed cultures, uh, Christianity has changed the way the world operates. But if we discredit the very core of Christianity, we discredit all of that. So this morning I invite you, will you respond to Jesus? Will you open your heart and trust him today? If you're on that journey, you say, I'm a skeptic, I say, welcome. Skeptics are welcome here. And I want to encourage you to continue the journey to discover who he is. Because once you discover who he is, you're going to sell all out. You're going to buy all in. And your life will be radically changed. Father God, I pray you'll be with everyone in this room this morning. Lord, some are Nathaniel's in here this morning. Some people are just like Nathaniel who discredited Christianity. What good can come out of Nazareth? But God, you, you were persistent. You put Philip in Nathaniel's life. Nathaniel wasn't intimidated by him. Nathaniel said, come and see. Lord, be with our people as we have Nathaniels in our church and there are Nathaniels at our work. People that we need to just say, hey, come and see. Come and see with me over a cup of coffee. Come and see with me at a church service. Come and see who Jesus is. And when you see who he really is, you're the one who gets to decide, will I follow him? Father, I pray you'll be with each person as we respond to you. Help us as we reach out to Nathaniels all over this place. I pray for the Nathaniels in our church. Give us strength as we march forward. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us one last time, please? The altar's open up here for anybody that wants to come up and just spend a few moments on their knees before the Lord.
is devoted like a ring of solid gold like a vow that is tested like a covenant of old your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today Faithful you have been, and faithful you will be. You pledge yourself to me, and it's why I sing. 